Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, folks, I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com moods to learn more. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media and made possible thanks to our Patreon community. To support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash Alex Skolnick. Here's episode nine. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host, Alex Skolnick. I'm probably best known as a professional guitarist. I'm also a writer, a photographer, and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on Twitter. This podcast will involve music and guitar, but it may take us to some unexpected places as well. So, thank you for joining me, and let's do this. Forklifts everywhere, speeding by... Wow. You get run over if you're not careful. Hey, how are you? How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. He's, he's, one, of the, he's one of the gurus here. He, he oversees all the Lucius and stuff. Oh, awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, the builds. It's great to see it. I'm yeah. proud, very impressed. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, different than that building over there. Oh, completely. Yeah, a whole other world. <laughs> yeah, it is. And we're back. Moods and Modes, episode nine. Hey, everybody. Today we have something a little bit different in store for you. 
We did a music store visit a few episodes ago, but that was focused on a very small boutique vintage shop in Brooklyn. This is a complete 180. It's not even fair to call Sweetwater a music store, as it's the largest online retailer of music instruments and pro audio in the United States. Kind of like the Amazon of musical instruments, except uh, there's some big differences between this and Amazon, which I'll get into later. So the sound you hear is me being walked through this massive facility that only got built in 2019. It's separate from the rest of the headquarters, and it's all guitars. It was created to accommodate the demand for guitars. There is even more demand this year. At all times, guitars are arriving from the manufacturer. They're being prepared to be shipped out to the customers, which is a big process, which I found out all about. And if you've ever seen old footage of a bottling plant or a munitions factory during World War II, it kind of has that feel. There's so much going on. I was hearing this music in my head. Kind of surreal. So this is where they all come from. This is where they all, where you all place your from. order. Yeah. You know what, it's a trip that about a month ago, half this was empty because we didn't have them in inventory because we sold so many guitars in the last couple months. Oh, oh, because of uh, COVID. Yeah, everybody's, yeah. the guitars come back. Not that it left, but yeah. it's come back I heard, now. yeah, it's come back in a big way. I'm referring to a widely read and heavily debated Washington Post article from 2017 by journalist Jeff Edgers entitled, Why My Guitar Gently Weeps, The Slow Secret Death of the Six-String Electric, and Why You Should Care. This article sent shivers and shockwaves throughout all corners of our industry. Yet even prior to 2020, there was such a demand for guitars that Sweetwater had to build this whole additional facility just to keep up. In other words, to borrow an old phrase originally spoken by Mark Twain that has been used excessively but is too good to resist, rumors of the electric guitar's death have been greatly exaggerated. This is all guitars. Oh my lord. Alright, this is uh... The most guitars I've seen in one spot, for sure. And there's another Iolette. Holy moly. You guys, I don't say holy moly that much, but I'm saying it a lot here. Let me try to describe what I'm seeing. First of all, the ceiling is so high and the walls are so wide that it brings to mind an aircraft hangar with room for several jumbo jets and a Goodyear blimp. Imagine that, filled with more perfectly boxed guitars than the eye can process. Only half the story, because of what happens if they have to go through a process to actually get here. Oh yeah? Yeah, they don't just come in and go on, on pallets. Huh. And that's what you're about to see. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they're so neatly... Yeah, it's all... Perfect, so it's one, two, three, four, five, six. I see at least ten layers, and each one has... 
guitars and box. Right, so they have to get up there somehow. Hey, how are you? Oh, thanks. Good to meet you. Can I get a quick pick? Of course. This happens every few minutes as I'm being shown the facility. Not that I'm a big celebrity, mind you, but this is a guitar-focused environment, and many of the guitar testers, luthiers, maintenance people, and so forth are big guitar fans. And I'm honored they know who I am. So I take a lot of pictures, even though we're wearing masks. And just before that, I was being told about the process and how these walls of perfectly packaged instruments are the first thing you see when you walk in. Yet there's a lot that happens before that, which we will soon find out. By the way, you may be wondering about this voice who is describing all this to me. And is, do you detect a British accent? That doesn't sound like somebody from Indiana. My friend, you would be right. This is somebody known to many in the music world, especially the world of gear. He was a longtime rep from Marshall Amps up in northern England until he was lured away by Sweetwater to Fort Wayne, Indiana, someplace very different from Britain. Here's a little bit of our conversation just after I'd arrived the day before. Have they given you the tour yet? Have you ever had the tour? I did, but it was a number of years ago, and I heard it's, yeah, it's expanded quite a bit. So, yeah, if you want, if you want a tour tomorrow, I'll be glad to. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be but amazing. They got rid of the arcade. They got rid of the world's biggest freestyle machine. I mean, it'll be moved somewhere else, I think. What happened to the arcade? Where's the giant foosball machine? That is a grown man, yet still an arcade game enthusiast, lifelong comic book collector, my good friend Stu, who I have arrived with, and who you'll be hearing more about shortly. Have you been here a couple years now? Three years now. Three years? God, that went by quick. A little different than the UK, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're, you're in America. Like where I live, it's not really America. I live in Brooklyn. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different, that's a different. I'm kidding, of course. Obviously, Brooklyn is America, but I'm just making a joke about Indiana being a little more stereotypically American. I'm going to go teach, but I will see you shortly. Okay, I'll see you at the thing. You too. So the thing we're referring to is the official reason why I'm there. That's to give a master class in front of some students, all masked and socially distanced, as well as a recording workshop with one of my favorite musical collaborators, the great electric bassist Stu Ham. So while Sweetwater's online retail business represents their biggest slice of the pie, they also have an in-person music store on-premises as well as a state-of-the-art recording studio. Stu and I will be recording several songs for an upcoming release under his name as an instrumental trio with drummer Joel Taylor. The entire process will be viewed by about a dozen students who are enrolled in an official Sweetwater program on music production and engineering. Stu and I will both give our master classes in a few hours that evening, and the recording class and sessions will take place over the next couple days. On the lunch breaks, I'll be walked around the facility, both the main room where we just were and where we started out today on this episode, the large warehouse known as the Guitar Gallery. Both of these tours are courtesy of Nick Bocott. By the way, there's just one more thing you should know about our British friend, Nick. And <laughs> I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. First, he's a very good guitar player and teaches overseas music programs as well as gear business at Sweetwater. But long ago, way before all this, he was in a British 80s power metal band called Grim Reaper 
that uh, was famously panned by a couple of cartoon characters on MTV. This sucks. Yeah, this sucks. <laughs> Where'd these guys get their clothes? <laughs> they bought it at that rock and roll store at the mall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at his face. Yeah. <laughs> his face sucks. <laughs> I think these guys played at the state fair last year. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Luckily, Nick's got a very good sense of humor. And they, or, or he, Mike Judge, who's voicing those characters, more recently of Silicon Valley, he's talking about the singer of the band. The band is called Grim Reaper, by the way. Volkswagen bus. What is the significance of that? That's how Chuck started. He started literally as a mobile recording studio. Oh, okay. And I'm going to waste no time jumping in. Pardon the noise. It gets better. It's from walking around. And you may be wondering, who's Chuck and what Volkswagen bus? Well, at this point, it's probably worth mentioning that control of Sweetwater lies not in the hands of any shareholders, committee, board of directors, or usual corporate structure. Yes, there are many people involved at the top, but they all answer to one person. And as if that's not rare enough, that one person happens to be the same person who started the business. Do you know how refreshing and rare that is? I spoke about this in the episode on a much smaller music store, Retrofet in Brooklyn. But I was talking about guitar brands from Fender and Gibson to smaller ones like Charvel and Jackson, where the founders are eventually forced out and the companies tend to lose the character and vision of the founders. That is not the case with Sweetwater. That's where they've got the TX4 track in there and then the mastering machine. Yeah, that's, that, that's how he started. Then he started doing stuff for Kurzweil, programming stuff and selling patches and this is how this is all the stuff he had and now he's got this monolith oh incredible his business statement you know that one has a mission statement yep this is just six words always do the right thing oh it's great and he believes that the karma will bring it around eventually yeah um, this building would suggest it's working and in case you didn't understand that last thing he said it was this building would suggest it's working that was in reference to the philosophy of sweetwater's founder chuck which is always do the right thing. Before that, we were discussing the now dated audio gear that lies outside the VW bus. The combination of that gear and the bus in the late 70s was a mobile recording studio that drove all over Fort Wayne, Indiana and recorded local live performances, whether in clubs, schools, churches, anywhere where there was a band that needed a recording. This was how it all began. After the bus, he graduated to a more functional recording studio in a house. Eventually, he had a full-fledged state-of-the-art recording studio here on the current location of Sweetwater. During this time, he developed a relationship with the company Kurzweil, one of the preeminent manufacturers of keyboards and audio equipment. 
Some of the sounds he would create for Kurzweil in his studio would eventually find their way to major albums by such important artists as Dolly Parton and Stevie Wonder. On the heels of all this, he started an online music store when that was still a relatively new thing, all of which led to the massive operation that Sweetwater has become today. So this is a really great American story. It's very inspiring as far as self-motivation and entrepreneurship. This is somebody who never even went to college, went straight on the road as a traveling musician, uh, was unfulfilled doing that, so began uh, recording, built up this recording studio into this incredible retail business. And the mysterious Chuck that we've been talking about is Chuck Surak, and I didn't see him while we were on this trip, but his presence is felt, and there are some really great videos of him on the Sweetwater website. Here's a clip from one where he talks about the store's origins and specifically that funky VW bus. My mom and dad gave me that bus when I was a junior in high school, and the only reason I got it is my mom had wrecked it into a telephone pole. <laughs> And it had a big V in the front, so I filled it with two gallons of Bondo. Nice. And then I put headlights on it from Tractor Supply that looked like bug eyes. And then I spray painted it with 99 cent cans of actually blue spray paint from Kmart. And that's I've never what heard I, that story. Yeah, and awesome. that's what I used for, for going to school, junior and senior high school, and what I used on the road for several years. And right. I, after being on the road, I came home with that bus, and I needed to do something for a job. And, and uh, so I had a little bit of recording equipment that I had acquired on the road, and mm -hmm. I would pull the bus alongside the church, the school, the nightclub, run 100 feet or 200 feet of microphone cables in, and I would mic up the band or the choir or the preacher, whatever it was. And then I'd sit in the bus with my headphones and the four-track reel-to-reel tape recorder and uh, edit them and record them and just make them sound as good as they can. And I would take those very, very uh, early recordings to my humble 12 by 55 mobile home. And that's where I would edit right. them and put compression on them and that sort of thing. Before long, my business changed from being just a recording studio to now I'm helping my friends with their Kurzweils. And then it sort of expanded from there. They wanted music software. Well, I knew how to do that because I was already doing it in my studio. Then they wanted other recording equipment. So I became a dealer for recording equipment. 1990, I turned around and I now had five people operating out of my home, coming all hours of the day, and uh, I said enough was enough. So we built our first commercial building, 5,000 square feet, and right. if you fast forward from 1990 until today, we've grown to nearly a million square feet. We have 1,800 employees here. We have 5 million customers around the world, and I'm just humbled each and every day. It's pretty amazing. It is crazy. Yeah. He's got a good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently it's it's such a, um, a change from so many companies. Which is good. It's, I believe it's a trick of that. So he went, screw it, we're getting a doctor in the So we have a full-time. Wow. So, so they're actually doing, so the reason that's fine, they're doing flu shots, free flu shots for all employees right now. Wow. So the Sweetwater Medical Clinic. Yeah. The Sweetwater the Salon. Spa. The spa. Is, oh, that looks fun. This is so, and the, and the, log, the logic is, if if a, if a husband or wife wants to buy something, the kids can play down there on the free video games, uh -huh. and the wife can, or the husband can come and get a pedicure, whatever. <laughs> Allegedly. So we've been walking on the upper level of the facility. On the lower level, you have the main retail store with all the instruments, you have the recording studios, you have uh, video games and stuff for the kids. You have the food court and various different cafes. On the upper level, it feels like in a modern mall. There's a place to get your hair done. There's a spa, a place to get your nails done. 
and a medical clinic. So employees not only have health coverage, but there is a doctor and a nurse on site. It totally makes sense, especially because it's kind of on the outskirts of Fort Wayne and it saves time. Why have everybody leave and have to go into town every time they need to see a doctor when you have one right there? Next, we pass by a full gymnasium with a rather muscular fellow sitting just outside. Amazing. Yeah. It's a whole world to itself. And that's the personal trainer dude. Yeah. Somewhat that big, that attractive man behind me. I would never guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where he is. No, me neither. Ah. <laughs> That's a racquetball court for the employees. Racquetball. Oh my goodness. And this, this, where we're walking into now, used to be well, three months ago was an overlook on the net on the warehouse, which was the warehouse was all of this area here. Uh -huh. So this is all new construction. Okay. So this is where they're bringing people to do stuff. Wow. And below is going to be where the new store is. Okay. Oh my God. It's just endless. It, it's, it is. It's and it's expanding of, beyond this. It's incredible. You don't realize how big it is until you start taking a walk. Yeah. This is so true. It doesn't just apply to the existing parts of the facility, but the future parts of the facility. Because everywhere you look, there is expansion and construction. I keep thinking of song lyrics like Steely Dan, This is the Age of the Expanding Man, or uh, Big Time by Peter Gabriel. This is not the case in uh, much of the country. You know, you have to wonder. The, all the talk about corporations are people. Corporations are your friend. The stock market is the most important thing. It's a measure of the economy. If the stock market's doing well, everybody's doing well. A rising tide lifts all boats, right? There's a trickle-down effect. We can't think too much about the workers. Think about the job creators. Think about the shareholders. This way of thinking is not working anymore. And Sweetwater is like a grand monument to that fact. The word downsizing does not exist here. A certain other music retail giant who I won't name, but I'll give you one clue. That is their radio ads. Where a guy talks to you like this and tells, tells you to come on down for not 10, not 20, but 30% <laughs> Who could that be? I'll tell you who. A company with constant employee turnover and that recently filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Meanwhile, by operating in a manner diametrically opposed to that company and so many others, business at Sweetwater could not be better. Here's Chuck again. The sentence is always, always do the right thing, right? Yeah. To me, it's so simple. Just treat people the way you would want to be treated. It's a pretty simple concept, really. But I just firmly believe that we all deserve respect. We should give each other respect and just treat people the way you'd want to be treated. And, and by being open and transparent like that, it's really easy to do great business and do, as I say, great people. Mm -hmm. to, you know, you don't always know the right answers, but you can always find a way to do the right thing for the customer and, and for each other, for themselves. Most major companies have slogans. Not too many live up to them, and some abandon them entirely. I'm thinking of Google, who used to have the slogan, don't be evil. They uh, stopped using that. How interesting. But always do the right thing persists at Sweetwater. People come to work there for careers, not just jobs. 
you sit in when an employee's hired and, and their, their first uh, couple days, you actually do a kind of a meet and greet with them and talk about the company philosophy and, and introduce yourself and things. And I know that you talk about some of the things we do to exemplify that always do the right thing, you know, whether it's buying someone a, a pay for their taxi to come and pick up, you know, whatever it might be. Can you give us an idea of some of the kind of things that, that you'll do to, uh, to do the right thing? So we hire the very, very best people we can hire. We interview really hard. We check references. And I know that I've got great people on our staff. Once I have great people on our staff, I want to empower them. I never, ever, ever want to hear at Sweetwater, I need to check with the manager, like you hear at a lot of other retail places. Our people are empowered to do whatever it takes. And I mean that from a receptionist to a shipping person and everywhere in between. If that means paying for an Uber ride, if that means paying for lunch or replacing the guitar, or replacing the keyboard, everyone, everyone is not only empowered, they're encouraged to do that, to do the right thing. They'll get in more trouble for not doing something than they would for doing If they do a little too much, so what? It comes back and it's the right thing, and, and I'm fine with that. Now I'm going to tell you something that may shock you. Are you ready? Shh. Employees at Sweetwater are paid fairly, not forced to take additional jobs just to make ends meet. Over time, able to achieve home ownership, support families, even send kids to college. All these aspects of the American dream that used to be normal that are so out of reach now for far too many. Shocking, right? It shouldn't be. That should be the rule, not the exception. Instead, it's the exception to the rule. As I walk through the facility with Nick, I get a good sense of this. People are enjoying their jobs. There's a sense of pride. It doesn't seem forced like it does in certain other jobs when smiles seem pasted on. We were talking about Mike Judge earlier. One of my favorite parodies of his is the film Office Space, which makes fun of the sort of Friday's Bennigan's type corporate restaurants. This isn't like that at all. People actually want to work here. As we're walking, we're passing by training seminars with a whole new wave of workers to fill positions that can't be filled fast enough. Soon we're into Office Space, speaking of which, that even Nick hasn't been to yet. It's all part of the recent expansion. All of this used to be like warehouse racks, but now it's a... Uh, oh, okay. And it's now office. Yeah. So. yeah, as far as the eye can see, literally. Just incredible. Actually, this is the first time I've walked this far back. Oh, is that right? The whole thing is get people working while they're, while they're, while they're building. So they'll, yeah. they'll do it in stages so, oh. so it becomes relatively seamless. Well, yeah, I mean, it looks like a real, like, upscale office, but everybody's got a guitar in the yeah. cubicle. So while these areas resemble a common office environment, the presence of a guitar, a ukulele, a mandolin, or some other musical instrument at each desk makes it different, along with usually a, a rock poster or two. And one other thing that makes them different is the presence of these uh, very specific sheets that are sort of like flow charts documenting customer history. The reason for this is that each employee is assigned to certain customers. They have records of what was bought, when they bought it, how they liked it, any other questions or concerns, and just a general history of all transactions and interactions relating to the business. It's hard to describe what a different scenario this is for the process of purchasing music equipment. You have a relationship with the sales rep. You know who you're going to call. 
While I was taping this episode, I went through the process again by purchasing some new podcast equipment because I care about you, the listener. (laughs) So I have my guy. His name is Eric with an A. He's been my guy for years. And when I decide to check on this equipment and its availability, I know I'm not just calling some random sales rep. I have other musician friends that have their person who they talk to when they get something from Sweetwater. The chances of us having the same rep is very remote because there are so many folks who work there as needed to handle such a massive customer base. All the training that these folks go through has a purpose, not just in terms of how to best handle customer relations, but also understanding the products. If I need to know the difference between a couple different microphone types or mounts for the microphones, I know I can run them by Eric, and if he doesn't know the answer, he will know who to check with. Once you own the product, you don't have to worry about the occasional nightmare of certain product manufacturers' tech support, which can be less than ideal. There is a whole other department that deals with tech support. All of these Every one of these cubicles you can see up to that band. Uh-huh. Nice. As a person whose sole job it is to, is to talk to customers with problems. Oh, okay. And it's free. That's great. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which beats the hell out of, you know, have you, have you tried calling any companies Oh, lately? yeah. It sucks. Oh, you can't get hold of a human being. Such a bureaucracy, yeah. And you get the press, annoying voice. Press yeah, press zero. one for this, press two for that. Now press one for this, press two for that. No, go you back. press zero, you go. press, now they've sussed out that idiots like me will just start pressing zero. Uh-huh. We don't, not, no one at that extension, you've got to wait till uh-huh. it says nine gets <laughs> you to. They, they've got they're random, on to you. They've some random number will eventually wow. get so you. So this whole area is just for tech support. That's yeah, so and they great. work weekends as well. Oh, so great. So it's really a win-win. Customers are happy. There's a good relationship between the reps and the customers. And the folks who work there make a comfortable living. Now, the only thing is you need to be somebody who doesn't desire a high-energy, cosmopolitan existence. Somebody who's wired like myself probably wouldn't do well. I need to be in the big city. I figured that out a long time ago. But if you're up for a quiet Midwestern life and you love musical instruments and you're good with people and you're ready to relocate to Fort Wayne, my friend, there's a job waiting for you and it's time to head to Indiana. And we are just over midway through episode nine. Time for a little bit of housekeeping. Welcome back to Moods and Modes. The responses to the Eddie Van Halen episodes were very moving and touching. I heard from some people I was grateful to hear from. I can't believe how many people it it is. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. It's reached. I uh, referred to some living room footage in that episode that was private, but it has since been made public. So the section where I'm talking about Eddie playing in somebody's living room 
That was the living room of Jason Becker, the incredibly inspirational, gifted musician, stricken by ALS back in the 90s, but is still hanging in there, still inspiring, and still creating music. I had gotten a sneak peek of this footage through a family friend, and some of the moments I described have been cut. They edited it, but uh, it's out there, so uh, you can check it out on Jason Becker's social media. Now, last time I'd mentioned Zoom, the audio company, had come on board and are helping us, and uh, one of the devices they sent over is this H8 Handy Recorder. I am going to be using this a lot. Oh, my goodness. It looks like a little robot. And it's got some great features. I'm just going to read those right now because they are a sponsor. Dedicated applications for podcasting, music, and field recording. Large color LCD touchscreen display. Interchangeable capsule system. Up to 12 tracks simultaneous recording. Four mic inputs. Two XLR TRS combo connectors. And over 15 hours of operation on four AA alkaline batteries. It's really awesome. I recommend it. And I always thank the Patreon members at the end, but I want to mention them here as well because they make it all possible at patreon.com slash alexskolnick, where you are welcome to join us. And we are produced in association with Osiris Media, who's been helping me come up with some new episode ideas that I think you'll find very interesting. If you have any ideas or topics you may want to suggest, uh, please feel free to share them. You can reach me on the Patreon or Instagram or Twitter, at Alex Holnick. There's also a Moods and Modes account on Instagram. And it's just been wonderful having so many people come on board. A lot of folks who may not have had any idea who I was, which is all good. It's all about reaching new people. Speaking of which, if you enjoy this podcast, we have one small favor to ask. If you could rate and review it wherever you get your podcast, this really helps new people find the show. Now, on that note, let's get back to our story. Now, when we started this episode, we were in the massive warehouse, the newer building on the campus of Sweetwater, known as the Guitar Gallery. We were passing by some massive stacks of fully packaged instruments ready to be shipped out to customers. What we hadn't seen yet was the process that brings them to that point. Let's pick it up where we left off. In a strange way, this reminds me of the Tokyo fish market. <laughs> Except much cleaner, it smells much better. Don't be no good place to have sushi. No, not no. There he is. Awesome. awesome. Take it Love what you've done to the place. Spruced it up nicely. Yeah. That's Chris Roy, official title, Guitar Gallery Manager. He's going to be our tour guide for the next few minutes. I mean, from a guitar player perspective, this is one of the funnest, coolest things to ever happen because if you work for Gibson, you get to touch Gibsons all day, and if you work for Fender, you get to touch Fenders all day, and we get to touch everything, every brand, every model, all day long. Oh, that's so great. And we're processing 1,000 or 1,200 a day. Oh, my God. Through this, through the inspection process. Wow. This starts the guitar gallery. Okay. There's the logo up there. Oh, okay. And so think of it as a production line. Each one of these is a production line. There's one here, one here, and we had to build a third one. Okay. We opened this DC in January and thought, we got three years with these two, and we outgrew it already and had to build the third line, not even in the first year. Wow. So each line he's describing is the equivalent of an assembly line, except it's a production line. That means there's no conveyor belt, but there are different stations, each one with a different person with a different job. 
and a, a whole stack of guitars at a time moves through each station. So great to see expansion. Right, right. Everything is shrinking. Right. Wow. So it's a pretty cool process because our whole concept is to make sure that a customer is getting a better product than they would get even directly from the manufacturer. And that's the goal. It starts here. So we receive the product over here. Yeah, so when you say it starts here, so that means it arrives, it arrives from, from the, the dealer. Yeah, from the dealer. In a truck. I mean, we're even buying containers right from, you know, if Epiphone's making them, we're getting them right from China. They're coming straight here. So we, we, we let them acclimate for 24 hours so we're reaching a proper temperature. Um, and that way when we open them, there's no issues with, and plus when we're setting them up, we know that this is the way the guitar should be when it arrives with the customer. And we ask them to let it acclimate as well, the okay. same amount of time. So that makes sense, yeah. When we receive them, this is the Sweetwater badge or license plate, okay. we call it. And so now all they have to do is scan this in with a scanner here. By the way, when we were in the previous section, I'll call that the stacks because it's kind of like the stacks in a library. There weren't many people around. There was an occasional forklift that went by or an occasional loan worker. Now it's a completely different scene. There are dozens, maybe over a hundred workers around. Everybody's spread out, but there's uh, chatter, there's music blasting from the loudspeaker, the whole noise level is completely different because of these production lines. They open up their inspection cards. They put the printed label there. So now the guitar travels with its card, the case, and all of that's together on this cart all the way through the process, so it never separates. So okay. your case candy, even your hang tags of what string brand it is are gonna go through. So you're gonna have all that stuff when you get it. As you know, a vintage instrument, if I have two, and they're both 65 strats, this one's worth 60, and this one's worth nine. Right. This one's 16, because you have the original invoice, right. you get all this cool stuff. And part of the beauty of what we're doing is, if you can look forward and think that way, this card's going to be part of the history of that guitar from day one. And oh, yeah. This extra level of inspection, inspection and, and yeah. to make it the best. Make it valid, and, yeah. So... Because of that, each section is, is each section of this department is broken out into who handles what part of the inspection. Oh, okay, okay. So hardware, cosmetic, playability, yeah, yeah, the whole thing. So fun. This first group is just making sure that everything is that's supposed to be in that box is yep. in that box. So if we're missing a, a Martin's little card that tells you how to care for your guitar, we go uh-huh. out of the closet and grab one and make sure that's in there. And oh, nice. That stuff's you know often not. That there yeah more often than you would like to think right? i'll bet i'll bet so that's the kind of thing that you're still going to have at the end of the process so at this point we're passing by a very strange machine that uh exists in most modern guitar factories yet no matter how many times you see one you never quite get used to it if you're interested do a google search for robotic buffing machine guitar You'll see what I'm talking about. And it's a little bit like seeing an unfinished guitar in a car wash being handled by the robot from Lost in Space. Maneuvering guitars and boxes down to the inspector. Oh, okay. So once we have it verified that everything that's supposed to be there is there, we wheel it into the main line, which is where the inspectors and the the support techs are. And so each one has a separate function. It's incredible. 
So we've already passed sections where guitars are unboxed for the first time, analyzed, marked up for repairs, given repairs. We're now in a section where people are tuning, playing guitars and adjusting them, getting them ready to be put back in the box, new and improved. So this is Luke. Yep. Hey, Luke. This is Alex. So are you? Luke's going through a tailor now. Which I'm sure is fine. Yes, they go through pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of the few guitars that we love Taylor Day. When we yeah. get a big shipment, all of us are like, ah, oh, this so will be an easy day. Fun. Yeah, I'm uh, affiliated with them now. They're oh, nice. shipping me to D.C. next week. Just oh, very to cool. play their guitars. Have You'll show. probably run into uh, Don Rodriguez. So what a small world. Uh, total coincidence. What Chris just said was, you'll probably run into Don Rodriguez at Taylor Guitars. And as it turns out, Don Rodriguez was the very person who would drive me from New York to D.C. for Taylor Guitars a few days later. And I'd never met him before. So that's kind of crazy. Even more coincidental, the uh, Taylor event that I did, it was a filming of about a dozen Taylor Guitars for a dealer in D.C. And this dealer is also a large independent music store started by someone named Chuck. It's called Chuck Levin's Washington Music Center. Really cool place that I hope to do an episode on at some point. They're making sure there's no fingerprints. This is a second check for if every note is clear, there's uh -huh. no fret buzzing. So we do it there, we do it here. Um, we also do intonation check on the 12th fret here as well. So we're really double checking everything. Even though it's left the manufacturer saying it's gonna be good, we, we find a lot, so. If it, if it fails here, it has to go right back through the process again. Wow. So everybody's job is to just make, make sure it's right. Make sure it's right. It's all Get about right. the quality. Um, it's all about the end result, which is the customer hopefully opening the box and being like, ah, oh, that's perfect. Right. So that's, yeah, that's one of the reasons the customers are so flocking, happy, right? They're walking here they can, for that reason. Yeah. yeah they know it's going to be, in addition to the customer service, they know it's mm -hmm. quality is going to so once it's been TMP, this is the rebox section. So basically, these guys a lot of times have just been unboxing. They know how the product comes. And our job is to make it look as much like it did when it when it left. Right. When it arrived, right. But we may add extra bubble wrap a lot of times to make sure it's even more secure. And then we run it through that machine, which is a double box, and so it goes into a second box and it's floating on foam for oh, wow. all six sides. So it, yeah, so it come it leaves here better than it, it, it arrived from the building. Yeah. So from a manufacturer standpoint, we're helping them make a better product under their brand. Yeah. And this is something Sweetwater does at no extra charge. This is yeah. literally 100% just the Sweetwater difference. You know, it becomes more presentable and less likely to get damaged because you guys are going the extra, extra mile there. Extra, yeah. Yeah, giving it extra packaging. And that's also where we put the candy and the stickers and the catalogs oh, that everybody loves, stuff. right? Yeah. The fun stuff. If you've ever received a package from Sweetwater, you know what we're talking about. There's a little bag of candy. It includes uh, mints, Laffy Taffy. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Smarties. I already broke into the Tootsie Roll. Chuck Surick actually talks about this in his most recent interview online when asked if the candy started with him as a studio owner handing over master tapes to clients. As you'd hand somebody their master tape, were you giving them a bag of candy with it? Or where, where did that idea come from? Oh, great question. <laughs> no, the candy came later. Uh, when we started actually sending products, mail orders to customers, right. it was just a sweet way to say thank you. Just wanted to do something a little bit extra, a little bit different. You know? Right, right. That was actually a viewer question. I, I can't take credit for that. Yeah, I wish I had done candy in those early recording <laughs> studios. That would have been a good idea. But. Yeah, right. right. 
There's also a catalog that arrives with your product. Once you're in the database, you'll receive it every month. It's pretty thick. It's like a white pages of musical instruments, and they're all professionally photographed against a similar background. This takes place in the guitar gallery, and it's surprising how small the studio is when you see it. It's really just one room, and each instrument is shot one at a time, and instruments are photographed all day, one after the other. So it looks much bigger than it is when you see it, but it's just this little wall behind one guitar at a time, yet it's instantly recognizable from the catalog. So seeing all this in the context of this recent addition to the facility, uh, my mind was even more blown to find out that it wasn't enough and they've broken new ground. Here's Chuck again talking about that and other plans for the Sweetwater future. Oh, I should mention that the first voice you hear is that of Mitch Gallagher. He's longtime Sweetwater associate of Chuck's and conducts many of the Q&As and interviews online. This was part of GearFest. GearFest is an annual event put on by Sweetwater. It's kind of like a mini music conference trade show, all based around Sweetwater. And normally folks converge upon the headquarters from all over the world. The one time I was at Sweetwater before, I was brought there for part of GearFest as a rep with ESP Guitars, where I did a master class and was also interviewed by Mitch. This year, because of 2020, it was all held online. So part of GearFest Online. Here again is Chuck and Mitch. I remember the building in 1992, which was a little white building in a gravel parking lot, kind of in the middle of a cornfield, and, yes. and uh, things are a little different today. The yeah. campus is growing and still growing, and we just did a huge addition here. Do you expect at some point that we'll outgrow this campus? Are we going to have more retail stores around the country, or how, how does uh, what, do, what does your future vision say about that? Whew, that's a lot of questions. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, the building today, or the buildings, I should say, it just blow my mind every day. I'm, I'm, you know, I started very humbly, and to think that through great employees and, and great customers that we've been able to grow this and continue to grow is just you know, almost brings me to tears. I'm just so thankful, so blessed. Uh, we have nearly a million square feet today. We're still adding on. We just opened a brand new, nearly 500,000 square foot distribution center and quickly decided it wasn't big enough. So oh. we broke ground two weeks ago on another 50,000 square feet to add on to that. We've wow. got a brand new store coming later this year uh, that'll be one of the nicest superstores of the whole world, frankly. Uh, we're gonna have all kinds of cool stuff and, and uh, a little sneak preview, we'll have band instruments. People keep asking me when are we gonna have saxophones and trumpets and clarinets, we'll have those early next year. Uh, an additional uh, expansion to our sales department, we'll have room for more than 1,100 sales engineers going forward. Wow. So we think we're gonna grow for a long, long time. You know, uh, this year, next year, pretty soon, we'll probably be at about a billion dollars in sales. Um, there's nothing magical about a billion other than it's a it's a B. It's, it's a, a big number. It's a big number, right? Um, I just want. I've never been driven by the dollars. I've been driven by doing the right thing for our customers, and the business will come, and the referrals will come. But it's a billion dollars, and you know our industry. If you count the music instruments and the overhead speakers and amplifiers, is about twenty billion. So even though we're number one online, we sell more equipment online than anyone else. We still really only have one twentieth of the U.S. business, and that's before we talk about going to Canada or Mexico, South America, or even over the water. So I think there's a lot of business in the U.S. We'll continue to do more of what we're doing for a long, long time. It's so good to hear that. I know there's a faction out there who is automatically pre-programmed to dismiss the online retail giant in favor of the small independent music store due to an emotional attachment, and I understand this. 
But I also think it's important to recognize that Sweetwater is not this behemoth that could compare to certain others, as I mentioned earlier in this episode. Chuck Surek is no Jeff Bezos, and that's a good thing. (laughs) Talk to both of them, and you'll notice a big difference. Talk to publishing houses that create books about their experiences with Amazon versus guitar manufacturers and their experiences with Sweetwater. It's like night and day. Talk to the workers at Amazon versus the workers at Sweetwater. There is no comparison. In each of these cases, it is a negative experience versus a positive experience. And full disclosure, I've never met Jeff Bezos. Maybe we would get along in person. But judging by the discrepancies between him and his lifestyle and that of the workers who are frequently in the news for being very unhappy, having revolts and strikes and whistleblowers, you don't see that at Sweetwater. Chuck Zurich is creating upward mobility for his workers. What a concept. And speaking purely as a customer, the difference between a negative experience and a positive experience cannot be appreciated enough. Buying music gear has not always been a positive experience. I wrote about this for a blog that was picked up by Guitar Player Magazine and eventually ended up on other websites, mylespaul.com, rigtalk.com, sevenstring.org, Ultimate Guitar, and more. It's called Music Store Horror Stories. It actually went semi-viral at the time it was published, around 2010. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read to you a little bit of it. I'm taking it from the middle of the first paragraph. I cannot count the number of times I've walked away from a music store wondering the following. Shouldn't buying a guitar or other piece of gear be a pleasant experience? And why is it sometimes such an ordeal? And what the hell is wrong with the people that work in these places? Please hear me out. I'm not describing all people who work in music stores. Many of them handle their jobs with an aura of professionalism, appreciation, and genuine respect for the customers. But in 20-plus years of music-related shopping, I found these good-natured types to be in the minority. A disproportionate number of music store sales clerks are bitter, sardonic creatures whose cancerous disdain for customers grows each day like a brain tumor. Some exhibit a false, bubbly enthusiasm akin to politicians and used car salesmen. Others are void of expression and enthusiasm, depressing, jaded, drowning souls trapped behind the counter for years, their lives and ambitions fading away like the decay from a Line 6 delay pedal. It is you, the customer, who becomes the scapegoat for this person's lack of fulfillment with his job and life. At best, these people are simply a necessary annoyance. At worst, their behavior can turn a potentially fun part of the music process into an unpleasant and morale-damaging experience. Here, then, are my top three all-time worst music store experiences in chronological order. I go on to describe three experiences at different points in my life. The first one is being 12 years old, where a sales guy tried to tell me that tying a knot in a guitar cable is a good thing. It's a secret. And I believed him. I was 12. What a jerk. Um, The second one happened in the 90s when some guy at a major retailer tried to sucker me into buying a microphone that I didn't want to buy. I was on to him. And uh, he very quickly turned into my sycophant when his boss reamed him out, who his boss recognized who I was. (laughs) And then he was fake and too nice. Um, And then finally, I describe somebody in New York, 
And this was just after I'd performed at Madison Square Garden with a project. And I was feeling pretty good, pretty professional. This guy made me feel like a complete loser. So <laughs> I'll read those another time. But the point is, this would never happen at Sweetwater. These kinds of attitudes, this type of behavior, it just doesn't exist. So I think you got to give credit where credit is due. Sweetwater has made music gear buying a positive experience, and that can't be appreciated enough. Group shot, because we're going to have to get out of here. Yeah, yeah, so, we, yeah, yeah, I can get people together for yeah, how we doing on time. With, yeah. We're sort of running late. We're, okay. we're, we're, we're teaching on the okay. trip. Okay. Uh, don't yeah, don't yeah, want so Mr. Ham to be angry. No, no. He's on edge when he's in a good mood. I kid my friend Stu. Uh, I think he, even he would admit he's a stickler for being on time. And at this point, we're running late. Uh, we are leaving the guitar gallery. We do a last-minute photo shoot. It starts out with about six workers, and then others keep running over. It ends up being about 30. And uh, the recording goes great. It's a whole other story. So I think we'll focus on that another time. I want to do another episode where we'll talk to Stu. Sue and I have a lot of musical history together. He was my gateway to uh, instrumental music, and we've performed together for many years, and there are many great stories. So um, the music isn't mixed yet, but he did give me permission to share a little bit. So I think since we're at 50 minutes, it's a good time to wrap it up, and we'll go out. Instead of the usual outro music, we're going to go out with this song that Stu and I recorded together, his arrangement of a tune originally done by Queen. thank everyone at Sweetwater who helped make this episode possible. This music was recorded there. That's Stu Ham on bass, and that's his arrangement of We Will Rock You. That's Joel Taylor on the drums. Recording and engineering by Sean Dealey. Huge thanks to Chuck Surek for greenlighting this project. Extra special thanks to Nick Bocott for the tours of the facilities. He does not suck. <laughs> thanks also to Samantha Hunter and Thad Tetmeyer. There were so many other staff from Sweetwater who helped us out. Too many to name. Thank you. And thank you to all the students. Moods and Modes is produced by yours truly, Alex Skolnick in association with Osiris Media, with hands-on coordination by Kirsten Cluthy, and production assistance by Brad Stratton. An extra, extra special thanks to the great Stu Ham who made all this happen. You'll be hearing much more from him soon. And a final additional thanks to all our listeners. Special thanks to our Patreon community. And uh, we'll see you guys again on another episode. Have a great holiday season. And please be safe. See you soon. Hey, listeners. 
I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.